since the Ten Commandments. If you liked Covered Wagon, Beyond From Here to Eternity, they can't be the Marx Brothers, they're too young. Columbia Pictures presents The Monkeys. Mickey, Davey, Mike, Peter in Head. That's right, Head. What's it all about? Only Victor Mature's hairdresser knows for sure. Are you kidding? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Hmm, the monkey's head. That's like an ironic story by Edgar Allan Poe, right? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this? See? Hey, Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or... You study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the... Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment. Virginia, summon the subject. Oh! Now, Andrew, we were talking about belief. Yeah, but isn't belief just a subconscious extraneous element that is attached to, I don't know, some warp core bullshit? But if, if let's say, Hi, guys. people make music... <laughs> Hello. Guys? Wow, If four okay. people make music, 
Are they not musicians? Not before they do it, no. Before they do it, they're amateur musicians. Yes. I made something before I came here, guys. Did you? <laughs> I don't want to know what it is. I, yeah, no, no, the, okay. I, you, you, there, there was, mu you could say there was music involved. <laughs> Go tell it to Victor Mature. Do, 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 Was it that music? Um, we're actually here, um... It smells like dust and... And... Out of the Upwebs bus drivers... Upwebs and tears, am I right? It, it smells like out of the bus driver's jean jacket in here. What? What is... Wh why, why all the, like, guru shit? Is this a cult? Has this been a cult and now you're, like, pulling the, like... Pulling the veil aside, and now I have to take the pill. Monkey, <laughs> did you see the movie? Is there a vat of Kool-Aid here? Because I'm out of here if there is. <laughs> I no. did see the movie. I, I saw the movie. I, we are here with fellow monkeys enthusiast, Andrew Leyland from across the pond. Andrew, it's I'd... a pleasure Hello. to have you here. Uh, I read the book. <laughs> And we are here to talk about a, another uh, note. I call it note exploitation. Uh, I know that that some, some people have suggested we call it band exploitation, but the thing is, Elvis Elvis Presley films count as note exploitation. This is a little bit of dope exploitation too, I would say. Uh, yeah, this God. is angry exploitation. This is an angry movie. Yeah, yes, a, that's this, that's my uh, first note. Is angry little psychedelic movie. Yes. Holy cow! We, I I thought I would be a good monkey and go out and like, and this is 2023. So imagine me in the seedier part of town, looking for some orange sunshine, you know, to watch this movie <laughs> correctly. <laughs> and going like the monkeys. I remember the monkeys. They reran them on MTV when I was mm -hmm. a teenager, and we used to sit around my friend's house and watch them and go like, "Yuck, yuck, yuck! This is fun." Mm -hmm. So I, 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 uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into detail, but I got myself in the right frame of mind, and mm -hmm. oh my god, man! Yeah, to, to give you an idea of when this film was made, it was right after they finished the second season. They kind of knew the writing was on the wall because the backlash had started and started hard against them. So this is basically four people saying, that wasn't us. Fuck you. Here's Frank. And the thing is, that's fascinating. Has anybody actually watched the monkey series sequentially? Oh, no. God, no. I don't think so. <laughs> no. I have. <laughs> and it's fascinating watching. I didn't do anything sequentially in those days. <laughs> Especially during that second season, you can see the boys getting more and more control. So, like, the, the, the sitcom section is shortened, and all of a sudden... Here's um, Mike Nesbitt hanging out with Jimi Hendrix. Oh, here's episodes where Mike Nesbitt just can't be asked showing up because the script yeah, is Yeah, yeah, that too. Or, or here's here's um, here's Peter Talk talking to a Frank Zappa. It's it's well, that happens in this film as well. Yeah, well, it, it becomes two good people to talk to. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I would have picked those two people to talk to. Yeah. Kids of America need you, man. The last episode <laughs> of, of the Monkey series, it's gone totally surreal. So it's a natural progression from there to this film, which is called Head, because they wanted to, if they had a sequel, be able to, to announce from the people who brought you Head. I think they would be very optimistic thinking this would get a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Even like, by 1968 standards, this is, let's put a bunch of people in a room, live a whole mess was, of drugs, and see what was, happens. Yeah, well, literally, literally, if there was any other Monkeys movie after that, you could call it a sequel to Head, because, yep. yeah. Well, yep. there actually was talk in the 80s of doing a, doing a second Monkeys movie called Pleasant Valley, which was about the Monkeys being trapped in... The, the Pleasant Valley of their song. Well, the, one of the things I thought was really good about it, after I got over the initial shock of what the fuck is this? <laughs> I did like that it carried on that whole thing that there's an awful lot of people who think that She-Hulk was the first show that broke the fourth wall. Yeah. And you're like, N you ever watch Moonlighting? Uh, but before Moonlighting did it, the Monkees was doing it. Uh, yes, they sure. did. And they were doing it in this film. They were very clearly. And they loved that they spell it out for you in the opening song. And there is a story. There isn't one. Yes. And when you get to the end, you may find you're at the beginning. And they're literally telling you that this is a journey that you may not find worth going on. But if you're going to go on it, mm -hmm. you know, it may actually be a lot of fun. And I and, ended up really enjoying they, it. And they punctuate it with fucking a, around. And they punctuate it with that headshot from exactly. Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. And, and welcome, yeah, I, to the, I, welcome to the monkey's head, rated G. That was the thing where that was. I mean, you can delve into it as much as you want to do, and and we probably will. Yeah. And have a look at what it's about, if it's about anything. Uh, but there did seem to be a little bit of self-loathing going on in it as well. Like, how do we make this cheap, cheesy pop music that everybody loves while this yeah. shit's going on over there? And there's a part of you that's like, all right, well, I get it. You're all in your 20s and you all feel like you want to change the world and you all feel like you're stuck in this contract that you don't want to be in. But there's room for cheap, cheesy pop music. And and you can argue the Monkees didn't do that. All of those songs well, have first... more going on than you first think yeah, that they did. Their first single was about a man having just been drafted into Vietnam <laughs> trying to arrange some time with his girlfriend before he shipped off. Well, the best sequence in this film is Davy Jones's um, Dance oh, with Tony Basil. And that's a lovely little song. And it's a lovely little ditty. And Davy's doing his damnedest with it. His Manchester accent comes back more than once, which made yeah. me laugh. And then you look into it and go, wait a minute. This is a song about a bloke who ditches his family. Ditches yeah. his family. And, and like, let, let's talk a little bit about Davy Jones in this movie. Davy Jones with those maracas is yes. scary, man. His like his energy is enthusiastic, but it's almost kind of a threatening enthusiastic. And that this that this song, I went back it and like like it's it's so Nielsen like that you yeah oh yeah it, Nielsen I mean, loved Davy Jones because well they have very similar voices like you can almost hear yeah. Nielsen's voice singing the song and then I went listen to the Nielsen voice which is almost identical except he sings the super blasted baroque horn parts yeah. but like that dance the dance and those horn parts are like so they're so aggressively 
cheerful. It's just like someone punching you in the face, just like happy, happy, happy. Remember the other song? Maybe it was the Orange Sunshine. I don't know, but that was written for the monkeys was Cuddly Toy, which was also Davy's Jones number, and is also super, super dark. It's like it's a little more gently dark, though. It's a little more subtly dark. Buck up, sunshine. You're not the first person to get, you know, to, to get, uh, not, you know, fucked with. I I think they went with Jack Nicholson and went over all the just seedier aspects of every, you know, everything and said, okay, how do we write this into like a G-rated, a G-rated version of it? So they had the scene... With the the girl kissing all four of them at the beginning, and that was yes. sort of like the group that and the and the harem scene, which is the most like, just like let's just film this, throw some. It's it's like a music video of just the harem girls dancing. But yeah. I think that was supposed to represent like the groupie, you know, the, uh, yeah, symbolically like kissing all of them. Or, yeah, or maybe it's a tie. It represented what. Um, the, the, the Can You Dig It sequence represented what they thought most people thought they were. And by the way, right. was Mickey Dolan's high as fuck during that sequence? Maybe. Maybe. They sound like a live band in that, though. It's that's Yeah, no. Least... It, it, the soundtrack to this, to this film is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Porpoise song is one of my favorite songs of all time. I know Great. why you like the Porpoise song. I liked it before that, but boy, yeah, that does help. It helps, Tom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, Andrew, this is the first time you've seen this film, right? Yes. First time I've seen it all the way through. I may, when I was watching it, mm-hmm. I was like, I must have caught this on like movie drum or something yeah. in the 80s. When they went through the resurgence. Yes. There was, it started here, BBC reran it in 1982. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about right, 1982. And they ran it almost consistently for six years, which mm-hmm. is, what, four years longer than the show actually ran Yeah, for. They just had it on a perpetual loop, and it would be all over the place. It'd be on Saturday mornings, it would be on Thursday afternoons, it would be on at the weekends, it was mm-hmm. on BBC One, it was on BBC Two. So they put it where you couldn't miss it. And this started the resurgence of it. And I think Head got shown late night on one channel somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I must have seen at least a bit of it. Okay. But I have never sat down and watched it. And I have watched a number of episodes of the, the show quite recently. Yes. And they do get steadily more surreal as it goes along. There's the, the one towards the back end, The Devil versus Peter Talk, mm-hmm. which is actually a really good one. I really like that episode. And then this just seems like a continuation of what they're doing in the show, that they're exploring mm-hmm. the idea of what it is to be this band that was thrown together to be a TV show. And Michael, oh. Mickey DeLenz has famously given interviews where he said it's basically the same as if Leonard Nimoy actually became a Vulcan. We were right. a band. We played a band on television. We really became a band. And I think it's it's fair to share Davy Jones went through his entire life basically saying, I'm not a singer in a band. I'm an actor. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's upsets me that the point that you made, that they ended up being a band, a professional band who actually released music that they wrote. And to this day, I will still get people saying, oh, they were manufactured. They didn't, they did not a real band. They, people would be, you know, surprised, not Hello, so dog. shocked if they knew like 
you know, the monkeys were just openly manufactured, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so many bands, even, you know, bands that were great musicians and stuff, even the Beatles, there's Beatles tracks out there where they had studio mus- musicians right. do the, the tracks in them and stuff. You but know, what so- I usually like to say when somebody gives me that up, because I've been pushing for many, many years thinking the monkeys deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they, they put somebody pulls that guff at me and say, you know who else was manufactured? The Sex Pistols. The Spice Girls. Exactly. The Spice Girls all auditioned. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... Let's... Scary Spices... Was it scary? No. Let's let's get back to this film. Sporty Spices boob touched my shoulder. Did it? It brushed my shoulder. Yes, it did. All those sporty should have been called scary, and uh, scary should have been called sporty. But that's that's another but, tale for another day. But we're not going. We're not. We're not reviewing Spice World here. I'm monkey. telling you though, Tom. I had a chance with with sporty, but like, that's not probably a good thing. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> get get the. Uh... Keep on track, whip. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna need it. Um. So, okay, we were talking to Andrew about his experience watching this film straight through, and I didn't what, watch it through straight though. What did you make of it? What did you make of it, Andrew? Now that you have seen the whole magnificent mess, uh, it's a magnificent mess. That's the best way of describing it. I genuinely did enjoy it. You, at the first point, right, you're watching it, and it starts with the close ball of cops and the guy on the microphone trying to do his yeah. speech or whatever. And then Delens comes running through, and he breaks through the ticker tape, jumps over the building. And you're like, okay, so is this going to be making Delens commit suicide? And then... Jones when we wrote a song about suicide. Yeah, he did. And when you loop back around, it suddenly yeah. all makes a little bit more sense. But the first 10 minutes or so, it's absolutely batshit crazy. There is no narrative mm-hmm. until suddenly you realize that there was a narrative when you actually get to the end of it. Yeah. But you can't take your eyes off the thing. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly well shot mm-hmm. and well paced. It, it... I don't know how this would play to people who don't know the monkeys. I don't know how this would play to people today who don't know what they're rebelling against. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would work at all for them. And there is, I think there's certainly a valid criticism to be said, they want to be the Beatles so bad. They mm-hmm. really want this to be Hard Day's Night. And then at the same time, they kind of don't want it to be Hard Day's Night. And there's a great bit where Peter Tork walks in and he, is he whistling Strawberry Fields? Yes. And that's a throwback to the show as well. There's a couple of times in the show where they're whistling Beatles tunes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's and there's also Randy Scouse Git, which supposedly is a party that never happened with the Beatles. Hmm. <laughs> uh, early trolling. Early trolling. Early trolling, yeah. but it is a... The sequences are just the right size so that before you begin to get bored with them... Click, here's something else. Yeah, well, if you didn't know 
who or what they were and what was going on. I think you could probably a lot of people you could could get through it just on the sheer spectacle of it and mm-hmm. try being like, what the okay? So this guy's now he's fighting a coke machine. Okay, you know. <laughs> And I mean, oh, we God. live in a what day where favorite? David Lynch is a mainstream filmmaker, so yeah. people, you know, the surreal, mm-hmm. the surrealism in this is is funny because it's very much like the TV show. It's pop, pop yeah. surrealism. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not David Lynch surrealism. It's, it's, you know, but like, and and you know, and they dragged out TV sets. They they have TV set camera setups for a little while, but then all of a sudden it'll be handheld. There's a lot of places where you can hear the handheld camera sound just whirring away as it's going. It's it's very there's a lot of thought put into it. There's a lot of like it's not just sort of like throw everybody together, let's improvise this and 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 you know, throw some dye over it and editing and and slap it together and tell everybody to take drugs and come see it. They they put some thought they put some thought into it. I guess like the the story is Jack Nicholson wrote it in in the basement of Harry Dean Stanton's house where he was living. Okay, at well the that time. is the house. I, I, I the, the legend I always heard was that um, after the monkeys, the monkeys struck originally refused to do the film until they got screenwriting credit and you know basically artistic approval. After that, they, Jack Nicholson and Bob Rafelson, went up to, I guess, Harry Dean Stanton's house, ingested a heroic amount of drugs, mm-hmm. and somehow, to tell, what came out was head. Yeah, I can see someone in a room going like, and then they get sucked into the world's most well-lit vacuum cleaner ever. And... And Victor Mature shows up and tries to stomp them out because he's giant now. See? He's a kaiju. <laughs> my my theory has always been that the whole film is nothing but a bad dream Victor Mature has. Yep, some some bad Chinese food. And, exactly, he has yep. some bad Chinese food. He falls asleep, and he's and this this movie is what's going on in his mind. But. The well, at cops. one point, there's a dream with it because it's like the cop's dream. The cop's dream, yeah. <laughs> that's the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which wraps all around itself, which means the whole movie could be that cop's dream, too. Yeah. But it, it could be the, the cop's dream within Mc- Victor Mature's head. It's hard to yeah. say. An the argument cop that was in Star Trek. Sco- scholars, scholar, yeah, scholars will argue about this for centuries, you know. An argument could be made that this film is about the monkeys trying to escape a box. <laughs> the box that pop culture, that pop culture put them in. Yeah, well, the, the idiot box. box. Commercialism. Back in it again and again, no matter how hard they try to break the bonds. Because the, tri- the, the coke scene, I read that as that's him attacking crass commercialism. Yeah. But at the end of the day, people are going to go and watch them and they want them to pay Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yeah. So they <laughs> can't get out of the box. They're terminally they, they never got the out of the box, really. No, right? They carried on being in that box until they died. And they Except got for Nicky Dolan's. God bless well, you. Well, Delones is still around, yeah. Well, Netsmith yes, had yes. his own things going on. He's it's still, he's still the in the drummer. box. You'll notice, by the way, it's always the drummer that survives. 
Yeah, they got the most exercise. Ringo and had... Nikki are going to be sitting together at, at a diner somewhere laughing one day. Yeah. Well, yeah, Dylan sang a lot of them as well, didn't he? He's, yeah, well, he's the Phil Collins of the group. Yeah, he's he's got a he's he's got the like the strong rock and roll voice. Like Nesmith's got the country edge, and and Mickey's for the Beatles songs or the really like you know show tuney sort of stuff. You know the drama stuff, and and Peter's just sort of Peter. Well, Peter Peter is the other uh, beside Mike Nesmith. Peter's the other one that was an actual accomplished musician. He um. Came from here, from from the Greenwich Village scene. He was a folky. So, um, but this is just this is just. Bum. I gotta say, one of my favorite. They moments may, I the- mean, when 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 we used to, well, well, I I found a bunch of Monkeys albums in a house in the basement of a house I rented, and we started playing them as a joke. And like my metalhead friends were like, throw on throw on that monk throw on headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> They were you like, know, you they, know they, what? This is a really good album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's how I found them as well. My mum had headquarters on vinyl. I, I, I am not it's sure. Like the revolver. <laughs> yeah. I am not sure. I may have actually seen a couple of episodes when they went out live for the first time. I know I've seen. I saw a couple of of Batman episodes live. Um, but. My awareness of them came from when they were in syndication on uh, Channel 5 WNYW, Monday through Friday at 2.30. But, um... This is insane. This is... is, Like I said, I think this is just four very angry people (laughs) getting out a lot of frustration. Do you think Davey's angry? I think Probably. they'd be angry. They'd be trying to have a solo career and nobody cared. I mean, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in a real meeting with the with the monkeys or like Dave, you know, any of them at home. Like, God damn it, you know, I, who knows what if Davey's like that <laughs> for real. But it seems like he is because you can't just be. I don't know, Andrew, you're British. Is that like, is, does he come off as <laughs> being oh, really chirpy never- and... Yeah, Davey never came across as, as angry as Peter and Mike Nesmith. Oh, oh I'm sure Mike Nesmith hated being tied I think down Mike, to this. I think Mike Nesmith walked in the door of his of his tryout angry on some level, you know. It, it, it's I, I think that keep in mind also, Nesmith is the one that probably was the most successful in creating something outside of the monkeys. Hmm. Well, he had a couple like he had a couple of, of country um, rock bands. Well, and, and he, he also had, had parts like, and video parts had, and the TV series that came from video parts. Right, and and let's not, uh, you know, he pretty much got uh, Repo Man off the ground. Yes, and he was I, also I, I, fucking rich before he started. Yes, yeah, so he so, didn't really care then. Yes, but anyway, um. But yeah, I, I always got the impression that of the, of the four of them, he was the one that was most resentful of the fact yeah, that he was always going to be tied. Is to... that because he didn't hide that he was most resentful? Yeah. Well, I think one of the funniest moments in this film 
there, there, are, there are several. I've seen this film countless times. It's, it's a favorite film of mine. And there are like two, there are like two or three moments that never cease to make me laugh. And one of them is when Mike goes on that tear after he says, "Ask me how I how I feel," and he he goes on that rant about, uh, and ends it with, "And the same goes for Christmas." Never fails to make me laugh. He's always was kind of like the he always was the one who was like kind of like Doctor Strange in for in the Defenders. He was the John <laughs> of the, the. You understand what I'm saying by that, Andrew? Right? Well, the one who didn't really want to be there. Well, the one who was like, "Oh my God, I have to wash over these people." You oh, know? the adults in the room. Yeah, the adults in the room. He was. Uh... You know, whereas Mickey Dolan's, I think, was always the most comfortable being a monkey. Well, I, I think that it's just like I am not Spock and then I am Spock. Yeah. I think a lot of times when you're younger, yeah, you get pissed off after your your great success, which you were really gunning for. But then it boxes you in. But then eventually, like by the time the monkeys were hitting that second 80s wave where they were doing tours and stuff. The 25th anniversary. Um, yeah, they, they they were sitting there going like, you know what? Outside of being the monkeys, the monkeys have probably made all that, like, given them all comfortable, nice lives, and they have yeah. family now, and all that. And they're like, and they come to, you know, they come to some sort of peace with it, and and I mean, Mickey continued they make, to, then they make some more money. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey continued to act. He was a professional actor. He was in a show called Circus Boy. That's why there is a gag. In uh, the episode about the circus, where Mickey, where uh, Mickey makes a comment about this seems familiar to me somehow. <laughs> so he was already a known actor. Mickey uh, well, also I... produced a number of TV shows as well. I don't know yeah. if he got over to you, but he produced a number of kids TV shows for ITV. I think he was behind Metal Mickey, which was mm -hmm. a sitcom about a robot, and I think he was behind Luna, which was. Um, the first starring role for Patsy Kenzer when she was very young. She was only about 12 or 13 when she starred in Luna. And he produced that as well. So he had quite he had a producing career behind the camera. It seems it, it always seems to me like the one who struggled was Peter Talk. Yeah. He was the one who seemed to need the money more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And he was always the one. I don't know that he ever really made his peace with it. But he was the he was always the one who came back to do the reunions. That's what I was gonna say. All those tours were probably the like let's keep Peter Tork in rent tours. Right. Yeah. Let, well, let's keep let's fair, make Peter happy. You know, um like I said, once again, I mean Peter Peter was an actual musician and had very specific goals of what he, he wanted to be a folk singer. Hmm. And he never quite came back from that. After. Well, like to be an authentic, like be like, it would like it could be done, but like it would be a weird path to be like do be like an authentic folk singer after being in the monkeys. You know, it's right. like with that with that experience set behind you, it would be a straight. It would be strange approach to you know. It, it's usually like out of the out of the gutter. I think that's yeah. sort of why at some point Bob Dylan was just like, yeah, I'm going to do rock and roll now because mm -hmm. now, now I have a lot of money. 
and it <laughs> sounds weird doing writing folk songs. I, I, I want to read a quote here from Annette Funicello. Uh, this was something she said after she saw the finished film. It made no more sense to me than it ever had. Makes sense. I'm sure she'd read the script before that. Yes, I'd yes, love, to read, yes, I'd love to read the script to this must be a fun script. Also, this is the first film appearance of one Miss Terry Gar. Oh, yeah, I thought she was going to be in it a lot more. No, she no, she was. This was her first appearance. She a first film role. Uh, she was the daughter of a costume designer, which is how she got into uh, got into the business. I, but I'm not she sure. She was there with her dad, and Jack Nicholson walked by and said, "Hi, yeah. <laughs> you're cute. I'm Jack. Want to smoke a joint?" <laughs> Oh Lord! I, was, I, I just I, I love this film. I love exposing but, new people to this movie. Speaking of Terry Gar, reminded me. Uh, don't forget that Tor Johnson also makes a, an appearance in this yeah. as a cop. Yes, he does. I spotted him. There's quite a lot of familiar faces in it. Not necessarily famous, like Jack Nicholson's got that blink and you'll miss it cameo. Yeah. But there's a couple of people in it. You go, oh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper yeah. in his Easy Rider outfit, just like, hey man, actually, get out, that, like bad um, scene, man. The guy who played the guard is not Tor Johnson. He's an actor named Lee Kalima. That's not Tor Johnson. That is not Tor Johnson. Oh, oh, I thought it was Tor Johnson oh, as well. I I, re I rewound it back, and I'm like, yeah, that's him. Oh. Did you spot that Mickey Ness, Mickey Nesmith, uh, Mike Nesmith's suit in the boxing scene is Kirk's suit from a piece of the action? I'm the dummy. No, I'm the dummy. Oh, yeah. No, I'm the dummy. <laughs> that was well, that was know, the, I mean, that was the using... most pulled. That was the most pulled punches boxing match I've ever seen in my yeah. life. In this fight. Let's be Davey honest. If Sonny Liston actually had landed a punch on Davy Jones, he would not it would have just staged he did. It would have obliterated it. Yes, there would have been this red mist in that scene. <laughs> I, my, my favorite, my funniest bit was where Peter Tork punches the woman in the cafeteria. <laughs> and then he's all like, oh, is this not bad for my image? <laughs> oh, yes. I, I genuinely God's laughed out loud at that, girl. especially when she pulls the wig off. That was that was some good. That was a good drag performance because I did not see that. I did not see that coming at all. Well, I, the voice I, is I, dubbed as well, isn't it? No, I think that was. I think that guy just had. He was divine level. All right, if that was <laughs> if that was his voice, then it's an exceptionally good performance. I could that's, have swore that's what that I the think. voice I, was dubbed. I'll, I'll bet you that was like his career. <laughs> I'll bet you he was playing clubs like that, you know, like cracking jokes and stuff. Because yeah, I, yeah. I and I, when the when the wig, wig, wig comes off, it's just like oh shit. And then I'm yeah. expecting, then I'm expecting like, hey, <laughs> you know that voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, but when he yeah. speaks, he, when he speaks after he's taking the wig off, it's very similar. And it's just a lower timber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also want to briefly acknowledge June Fairchild, who was the jumper. 
not because of, of any great performance, but of, of the look on her face when you come back to, and they're just having a conversation. And and, and Mike Mike has her in his in his arms, then hands him over to, to Peter to to collect his money. That look on her face is spectacularly funny. The 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 acting in this is very good and dry Mm -hmm. perfectly dry like what struck me is in that opening scene it's just so you know they really thought it with the with the um i guess probably the mayor getting out of it getting out of his car and he's just sort of and you've got that live camera sound where you can hear him sort of mumbling talking to the people Mm -hmm. in the car and he gets out and it's just walks by the troops it's all just like pitch perfect and filmed like crisp clear the the copy of this i watched was on youtube and it was the criterion yeah, <laughs> yeah keep Mike that in mind that. folks this is a criterion release hmm. yeah crisp and clear cinema beautiful cinematography but that was that was something like i you know i wasn't old and i was i was not even around when most of the psychedelic good psychedelic movies came out and when I was like in high school and like wanted to check them out, like Easy Rider and stuff like that, the first thing that struck me about all of these like independent movies, and or, or and Head, which I didn't think of as a it was was it really an independent movie, but I just thought of as you know kind of weirdo psychedelic movie, is how well they were shot and edited and you know that how how professionally they were put together i was expecting you know a grainy 16 millimeter look especially with easy rider and then i'm watching easy rider going this is some like insane you know you know um is this the first criterion collection movie we've discussed on this maybe yeah probably <laughs> I'm, I'm looking it up i'm trying to see if they're there because i, well, I think very maybe... most likely this is probably the most mainstream movie that i can think of that we've watched so far that I can think of that might also be in the criterion collection one is uh, straight to hell time? i think straight to hell might have made it and maybe the great uh-huh. science oh uh, yeah the great silence i could see for sure for sure but I think other than that, this is the first. I'm checking. <laughs> but, um. So, yeah, but I, I. Do you. So, so do do you guys think that, that we respond to it because we know the background? Or can people enjoy it just as a, as a surrealist sketch comedy film for 90 minutes? I watched it with my wife on Saturday morning, who was not aware of the monkeys at all. Didn't have a favourite monkey. And I'm like, that's grounds for divorce, that you don't have a favourite monkey. Mm -hmm. And she sat there literally silent for 85 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it was like, I have no idea what that was, but my God, I couldn't stop watching it. (laughs) So she's got no context for it. She doesn't, she knows who the monkeys are, but she couldn't pick them out of a lineup. And all the way through it, she just I just kept looking at her and she's watching it. She's not picked up her iPad. She's not playing on her phone. She stayed watching it all the way through. So the fact that it can captivate somebody who doesn't have the background knowledge that we have. Right. In 2023, 
mm-hmm. says something about the quality of the filmmaker. And she did. Yeah. She also liked some of the songs. Right. Well, how could she not? Well, there it's, is that. They're amazing. It's some of their strongest material too. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I mean, the show was like that too, for the most part. The show had some more, you know, linear aspects to it, but it was, it was, it was supposed to be chaotic and yeah. anarchic. So See, it's thing, it. The thing is, uh, yeah, when people are saying they don't deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they were crucial in creating. First off, they were crucial in creating the country rock genre. For one, it's not the it's not the rock and roll hall of quality music. It's the rock and roll hall of fame. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I just want I, think, I just want them to get to get in before Mickey dies. I I hate the rock and roll hall of fame. <laughs> I hate its guts. <laughs> I don't. It, it, it's just. Oh, well, I mean, basically, if you have enough fame. money. If you have enough money, you can start your own Hall of Fame. And if people take it seriously, then you, it's just like the Oscars. You know, it's just yeah. a company that like gives out awards that like gets good ratings and stuff. So it's like when people are like, oh, they won't let him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's like it's it's a company that's charging money to get into the museum. You know, <laughs> I'm wrong. This is head is, in fact, the first film we've ever talked about, which has a Criterion collection makes sense really it won't be the last because we will be doing fist of fury at some point well it should look great (laughs) (laughs) yeah once again fist of fury all the godzilla movies are criterion collection now well it is on youtube as well if you've never seen it and i found it on archive.org so get there before chuck wendig shuts it down yeah criterion gets it man they they get that it's like that movies are are movies you know no matter what stank they have on them or like critics poo-pooing at them and stuff you know they they know the stuff that for some reason has delivered (laughs) you know uh, delivered the goods and uh and they they, i mean the the criterion collection should be so snot like if you look through the collection of this criterion collection it should be so boring and merchant ivory or something like that and it's not at all (laughs) it's very correct it does have the 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 nice literate stuff in it too but yeah it's not afraid of a bloodbath i love it no, it is not. Or or boobies, or or stupid comedies, or whatever it is. It was I what it. I got the impression it was whatever the six of them, you know, the monkeys and uh, Rifleson and Nicholson, wanted to do. It was like, what do we want to yeah. do? I, it's funny. I, I I watched a couple interviews with Raffleson, Ra- which loved to yep. be watching a lot of interviews with Raffleson. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and all of the interviews I saw with him, it was you know from the last ten years or so. So he was older, and stuff. And and I started watching it because he just kept kept telling you in every interview and and just going like I I really have to make you understand what an asshole I was back in those days. <laughs> He's like, I, I'm proud of my movies I got done, yeah. but I'm not proud of a lot of the stuff I did. But like, so I'm going to tell you a story now. 
but that's not me anymore. And I'm like, I, I love these stories. <laughs> and then you got to think of him and like Nicholson and Hopper all hanging out on the set. It must have been, it might have been hellish, but like it would have must have been just wonderful to watch. Like it's so much, it's so much more wonderful to think about like from the future time machine perspective that we have, where we know where all these people went and, and you know, and that like, that people like be like, Hey dude, you're on the set with Jack Nicholson. That's pretty, pretty mm-hmm. crazy. At that time it was just like, Oh, here comes a writer. <laughs> oh, who can we, who can we have in our movie? This can guy. Frank our movie? You know, yeah. Let's, let's have Frank, <laughs> you know, with a, with a, with a talking cow. Have you ever seen 200 Motels? No, I have not. This, this, there's, there's elements of 200 Motels, and 200 Motels was pretty much Frank Zappa's, like, God damn it. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I really like making music, but my music's weird, but I have to also make rock music and go on the road with it to, mm-hmm. to, to make money. And, these road musicians are crazy and I got a million stories that I want to, but it's also hellish struggling. And then he hired an orchestra to do some of his pieces, which was one of his dreams from, um, I think it was the London symphony orchestra and they hated, they hated doing new material Mm -hmm. and they hated doing weird, his weirdo material. And they had strict union rules and stuff. So they made, the recording of it and absolutely they just they just like were dragging their heels and stuff and just so like it's another angry movie about being you know your 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 situation in life he was a little older than them but also frank zappo is just inherently more angry than them too so but i think those those two movies would be actually a really good double feature and they're also filled with you know there's in 200 motels there's flo and eddie from you know the turtles and uh ringo okay, stars gotta wield the, the the whip now virginia uh, we have to get him back on track ringo <laughs> plays frank zappa guys oh, oh. keith moon's a nun <laughs> we, we, you know don't get me started. Uh, you're going to see Ringo Starr in about three months' time, young Yay. man. Yay! Because we are—he's he, going. He has a part in one of the two films we're doing for Zadoichi Summer. I've heard of that movie. I've heard tales of it. Yes. And I, I, and Ringo Starr is like good. I'll let you watch Listomania. <gasps> I've heard of that too. I, I know about that director. Ringo Starr plays the Pope. What? Yes. What? Yes, he should. Wow. D- and, hey, guess who else has played the Pope? Frank Zappa. <laughs> Does it all come back to Zappa? That was in Ren and, Ren and Snippy. Ow! <laughs> Jesus. So, what is... what? Okay, what is everybody's favorite moment in this film? I like that it's cyclical. And the, the ending makes a bit more sense when you've seen the beginning. And it's very much like The Prisoner. So I don't know what was in the air in 1968. But that was my... See, I, now, I, there's it, something I would like to see. The monkeys in the village. Yeah. <laughs> Thing, yeah. Because they want to leave their I'd contract like and they're not allowed they to. They handle the beach balls. Yeah. 
So um, they're writing, they could be riding the rovers. Yeah. But, I mean, because I think the best sequence is Davy's dance number with Tony Basil. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> and, and think about it. He had to do that twice over. At least. They, yeah, they had to hit their... I mean, they're not exactly hitting their marks. As a matter of fact, I yes. think they changed the camera angle a little bit. But it's they're, they're still so precisely on time with their movements mm-hmm. that it's, yeah, it's jarring when they flip back and forth. And with more it. importantly, there is such joy in Davy Jones' face while he's singing that song because mm. Davy Jones was a song and dance man. He was a he was he was a, a stage kid, and there is such love for what he's doing in this very simple number that it just bleeds out of the out of the screen. Well, he's also got a, a I mean, at that at that point in time, if you were a musician and you got your 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 sweaty little fingers on a Nielsen song, mm-hmm. you knew you had some gold. You know, well, look, look and at it's they got, Nielsen turned stuff to gold that wasn't even his. That like when Nielsen did a cover, it became the like you know the the what well, was the Can't Live song, the definitive yeah, version. Yeah. Think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they they had other people write their songs for for this movie, uh, three of them, but they were fucking Harry Nielsen and Carol King. Yeah, well, they had Carol K- Neil Diamond had they done Neil yeah, Diamond no, but songs we're before. Talking about just this song for just this, this for film. this movie, yeah. Just for this movie, yes. Carol but that King was, I mean, that was the way of almost every band in the day, including the Beatles. You know, but, you always um, threw in a few covers, and sometimes you had some, the Beatles didn't really have anybody like they didn't go and like pick out a a song that hadn't been recorded yet and did it. But a, a lot of people did that. So, uh, what, what is, okay, so, so, um, I, I, we, I what don't, is, is your, I, let me guess what your favorite is. Monkey. You know, you, you know, it's, it's that moment, it's the moment where it, it, it's, it's the porpoise song. It's the moment yeah. where he plunges into the water and, and you it start just thinking goes, about Ann ooh, 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 and, and yeah, the yeah. music, the, the just sludgy psychedelic mm. music starts that. I mean, I I love I love that song. There's so many good porpoise songs mm. out there. This might be the best song about porpoises, porpoises or dolphins. It's almost, it's porpoise mouth by Country Joe and the Fish is swimming up behind it. But it, okay. but that that moment just always sends chills up my spine. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's something that's like a YouTube video of just that song I watch all the time because there isn't a YouTube video of Anne Magnuson in a mermaid suit swimming around in a pool, although there might be somewhere. It sounds like something. Virginia. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you asked. You were going. I knew you were going to drift into bong water. Drift into bong oh, if water. That a, like a. That sounds like a, a psychedelic film, but that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that nobody'll go to. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if they do, you probably don't want to be in the theater with them. But I, I yeah. have a couple of favorite favorite moments. I talked about um, Mike Nesmith's speech when he gets the uh, surprise party. The moment after 
after Mickey's conscience goes quiet, isn't it? Yo, Mickey Dolan's, and he looks up, and it looks like he's about to kill a bitch. That for some reason never makes fails to make me laugh. Peter, I Trump, wonder if it's Victor Mature's voice. I don't know. It it's like it's like, like you, you, you. Um, I, 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 for some reason, I, I, and I use it in in normal life. Peter Torks, nobody lends money to a man with a sense of humor. Hmm. Ah, yes, I love. Uh, yes, I love that line too. An eye, a big eye, this big. <laughs> I ah, uh, so. I don't think we have to ask if, if we're going to recommend this. Yeah, and it's I on YouTube. I don't know. It depends who you recommend it to. But think about it. I mean, an it's on YouTube. Thing. It's cheap. They can, they can, you know, I mean, if you're not going to like it, you're going to know in the first 10 or 15 minutes right. and you can just bail out and have a, have a good rest of your day, you know? Yeah, and you've not spent any money. An argument can yes. be made that this is part of a wave of a, a change in the in the, the face of comedy that also included laughing and Monty Python, where it was much more surreal, much more stream of conscious meta. Yeah. So the young well, ones owes a lot to the monkeys. Well, I prefer the young ones to the new monkeys. Well, I have never seen the new monkeys. I saw a half an episode. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses. There was a new monkeys. The 80s or the 90s did they try to do this? When they had the revival during the 25th anniversary, and all of a sudden everybody was into the into the monkeys. Um the people Did who my brain owned... brought, blocked this out by trauma or something. You might have. Basically, one of the producers that wasn't Bob Rifleson decided to capitalize it on it by creating the new monkeys. Oh no! And uh, they were all '80s floofy hair. And, uh, and the thing is, you and I talked about this before, um, Chris. I have a love for that kind of um, bubblegum pop that people write for these for these kind of TV shows. Sure. So you, you know, had high hopes. Is that what yes, you're saying? We've, we've talked about uh, the kids from Caper, which which came out a couple of years before this. This film was poo. This, this series, I, I watched a half an episode. I said, nope, nope, not going to happen. So, um, uh, it, it, and they tried to do it with the banana splits too. And well, the banana splits are contemporaries, season. though. And, and the yeah. banana splits, they, they, they were two, it was basically two guys. Um, and of course, also other people wrote their, you know, different people wrote right. their songs. But, um, the, those, those songs are solid. The bass pl- the original bass player of my band mm-hmm. learned a lot of bass by using um, either the Ventures Learn to Play Bass record mm-hmm. or learning Banana Split songs. Yeah, 
Oh, he loves he loved the bass lines and bananas. And, and of course, he just started out jokingly playing. It was like, I'm not getting it quite right. So he worked at a record store and actually brought home an album of Banana Splits music and would just sit around playing bass to it all day. You know who is one of the songwriters for the Banana Splits? Marvin fucking gay. <laughs> really? Mark yeah, well, fucking Gay actually wrote a couple of the Banana Split songs. Well, you know, I mean, Rick James and Neil Young used to be in a band together, you know, so. <laughs> I don't think there was much done in that band through for, for all the all the, the marijuana smoking. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It was and and they like I guess they were like they were like more of a more Canadian. So it was it was Rick James crossing over the Buffalo border to play with neil young i would i i would time machine to go see one of those concerts in some club so andrew we haven't heard from you would you recommend i don't know (laughs) honestly (laughs) i don't know that i would recommend it to like normal people all right well you see what the the good thing is is you're in a show called the Honeywell Experiment, so, so there is a, no there's a filter filtering out those people. You so they're not they're not here. blonde with an electrified whip whipping Chris if, Honeywell. If here. they're here, they're, if they're here, they're here to find something to try to arrest at some of us for. That's that's the only reason. Yeah, otherwise uh, they've been filtered would... filtered away or they dropped out in the first fifteen minutes of the show. All right, I would be inclined to recommend it to those people with the caveat that you're going to do a whole mess of drugs before you watch it, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I don't know. You know I don't know how our filter is on that. I think, yeah, I, I think we, 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 we only filter in a percentage of those people, but, you know. I would say only... if you're unsure, watch it through to the Didi Diego ch- war chant. If, if you're going to take some orange sunshine and watch it, maybe have some nice pictures of kitty cats for the computer afterwards. It's not but like... Don't take the blue sunshine. <laughs> yes, don't take the blue sunshine, definitely. Your hair will fall out. You see, and there's a higher... There's just a... Like, as soon as you said don't take the blue sunshine, I'm like, nobody's going to know what he's... Oh, that's right. We got the filter for that. So maybe, yeah, they do know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, anyway, speaking of things that are blue... Oh, oh! Is that next, next month? Next month, oh, yes. Next you're going to be in a good mood next month. Woo! I'm indulging myself, especially because the, the world is such shit these days. I'm I'm indulging myself and taking a film that kind of, sort of fits into our remit, but not not really. The first of of one films produced by Polygram Records, starring. Dylan McDermott. Is it Dylan McDermott? One of the Dylans. <laughs> One of the cheaper Dylans. One of the Dylans, yes. The guy Dylan's who's in, in the practice. That Dylan. And um, Jessica Walters. No, Jessica Harper. Now I'm getting everybody confused. But it's basically... You should have fun with this, actually, Monkey. Because it is... Uh, <laughs> could almost be seen as a companion piece to straight to hell it's called the blue iguana and um 
it basically it, it Polygram decided they wanted to make movies. They made this one, decided not to make any more movies ever again. Oh. <laughs> so, one and done. But there's guns. There's a flea from the Red Hot Hilly Peppers. Oh. Oh, geez. Well, I just watched Obi-Wan, so I'm up I'm on my current flea, too. So, so, um, so next month, we're going to talk the Blue Iguana. Then, of course, June. Our dear, dear friend Brian Trenchard-Smith will be returning. And we're going to watch Wake and Fright, the uh, legendary Australian film with Donald Pleasance. Pleasance. And then it's Zadowichi Summer. So, get your blind swordplay on. Okay. Or, in the case of blind man, blind gunplay on. I'll, I'll start practicing with a blindfold. The guy uses a horse as a, a seeing eye horse. And Ringo what stars. What you use a horse? Is it? Is does Ringo use this? Is no, Ringo no, the blind Ringo's one? Bad guy in this. <laughs> oh, oh. So, and then of course in September the the moons come back and we talk about the only fish and chip western in existence, any Calder. Starring Christopher Lee as a guy who makes guns. But not the golden gun. No, not the golden gun. But yes. in this film, it, it, it's, it was produced by Amicus. So like I said, it's the best of my knowledge, it's the only spaghetti western produced by a British, uh, a British production house. And it's got, it's got uh, Raquel Welch and Robert Wagner and then in the middle of the film they go down they go down the shore to visit Wagner's friend who is Christopher Lee who is a gunsmith and he looks like he's happy he's like oh i got to sit in the sunshine but anyway that that that's what's going on you have your orders so i bid you go Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. 
Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And I'll tell you something else, too. The same thing goes for Christmas. <laughs>